Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and today Chef Timoni is heading overseas, virtually, if not really, for my talk with a very well-written, very well-spoken, and all-around very insightful food writer from the UK. Oh, and like many transatlantic calls, this one comes with a bit of static at times, but stick with us. It's a really fun talk. Let's get started. Talking to chefs, and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. It's Chef Timoni. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. For someone starting a podcast and blog in his, let's say, high, upper, mid-40s, social media is an uncomfortable reality. I've spent a fair bit of time grousing about it, but I've realized two things recently. One, it's just here, so deal with it. And two, it can actually lead to some wonderful conversations. Episode 8 is an example where I interviewed Chef Jenny Dorsey in New York. And like today's show, that simply would not have happened without Instagram. Not surprisingly, my Instagram feed is full of chefs and a few lawyers with endless pictures of great-looking food, but even in that endless stream, some people stand out. Sital Savla is someone who stands out. Sital lives in London, she works in digital marketing, she travels enough to make me very jealous, and in amongst all that, she writes a wonderful food blog called Savla Fair. I think the name is absolutely fantastic. Sital is not a chef herself. She leaves the cooking duties to her husband, whom she calls Chef Savla, but Sital is most definitely interested in food. In her childhood, Sital had the wonderful home cooking of her mother and grandmother, so much so that she didn't really explore restaurants and other cuisines until she was older. I was lucky enough to be surrounded by amazing food by my grand and my mom as a child. I was never really interested in making it myself. And restaurants weren't really a big thing either. We didn't go out so much because we had that great food at home. And so I sort of carried on that way while I was in university and then when I moved to Montreal and Paris as well. And now I look back and I kick myself for not going to certain bistros and trying out different cuisines. But now that Citel has started exploring the culinary world, she is really exploring that world. And happily for all of us, Citel shares her experiences and her thoughts on SavlaFair.com. Visit Citel's site and you'll see her thoughts on chefs, restaurants, travel, and lifestyle. Citel gives honest reviews of the places she's dined, and she's such a thoughtful and articulate reviewer that I find myself really, really wanting to visit the places that she recommends. One of those, as an example, is the Holborn Dining Room. Their meat pies, and their veg pies for that matter, look incredible. And I'm a big fan of Chef Callum Franklin's Instagram feed, full of those beautiful pies. About that restaurant, Citel wrote this, In a city where eating out is practically a competitive sport, Holborn Dining Room consistently bring their A-game. I'm going to move in. So that's enough for me. I'm going. Another big part of SavlaFair.com is Citel's Spotlight on Chefs section. Like me and like you, I suspect, Citel finds chefs really interesting. I've been doing that now for about a year and a half, and I'm just really fascinated with chefs, I think. The amount of dedication they show is the pursuit of perfection. And what I love about the Spotlight series is that Citel doesn't ask chefs bog-standard questions that they've answered repeatedly in the past. As with her restaurant reviews, you're going to learn things from Citel's Spotlight series that you just won't find anywhere else. And if you're looking for more great food writers, Citel has some recommendations for you there too. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's get to this transatlantic interview. Here's my talk with Citel Savla. So here we are on a beautiful, for me, Friday afternoon in Gibsons, BC. And for my guest, Sital Savla, it is a hopefully beautiful Friday evening in London. Sital, thanks for joining me and, and thanks for being on Chef Demoni. 
Thank you very much. Unfortunately, I'd like to say that it's sunny, but uh, it's been rather gray and miserable today. <laughs> okay. Well, fingers crossed for a better weekend. We met through Instagram, and I've, I've got met in quotes in my mind because, of course, we haven't met in person, but I connected with your account on Instagram where you post as Savla Fair. So let's start there. Can you tell the listeners, please, what is Savla Fair all about? So in a nutshell, Savla Fair focuses on London restaurant reviews and chef interviews, but it didn't always start out this way. About three years ago now in February, actually, I'll be celebrating the anniversary. I started writing about restaurant reviews mainly just London-based, and then expanded further into the UK, experiences that I had at various places in Nottingham, for example, and then Bray, which is about an hour outside London, and then also from my travels, so a bit further afield, like Spain, done a couple of posts on San Sebastian and Belgium. I've got one in the pipeline for Lisbon, that's also uh, that's about a year old now, but one day I'll get there. And then about a year and a half ago, I started the Spotlight on Chef series, so the blog, even though I've been interested in food now for a while, and I was lucky enough to be surrounded by amazing food by my gran and my mom as a child, I was never really interested in making it myself. And restaurants weren't really a big thing either. We didn't go out so much because we had that great food at home. And so I sort of carried on that way while I was in university. And then when I moved to Montreal and Paris as well, and now I look back and I kick myself for not going to certain bistros and trying out different cuisines. Although when I was in Montreal, I did have a lot of poutine, so I didn't uh, totally waste my time. How could you not? Exactly, exactly. So many variations. And then that all started changing when my now husband and I started dating when I lived in Paris. And he was a bit more into food than I was and trying different places, different cuisines, a bit more open-minded and adventurous. And so then I started looking out for places that we could go to together, a bit more romantic. And he also did a bit of research and you know, I would go ahead and book places. And that carried on when I moved to London, really. When I started the blog, it was sort of to offset a serious side of things in that current job in corporate translation. So I was doing a lot of reporting and meetings with clients. It was an account management role and I wanted to get back into being more creative as I was during my studies and in previous roles. So that's how it all really started, an encouragement from Neil to tell other people about all my experiences. I was sort of talking about it all the time, so he just said, uh, maybe share that with others. <laughs> and then also a friend of mine who's um, the founder of a content agency out in Dubai, I mentioned it to him, and uh, every time he kept coming back to London, he would say, so where are you? You know, well, how have you progressed? And I, I haven't done anything in three months and in six months. And so then he sort of gave me a kick up the backside by saying, well, you know, it's great that you've got these Word documents sitting on the hard drive at home. But there are people out there who are doing better than you are because they're actually making the moves and uh, publishing content. So, you know, there's no point writing well if no one gets to see it. And, and your content will evolve over time as well. So the fear of failure, you know, everyone has it to a certain degree, but you've got to make the first move, really. So that's all basically how it all started. It's so interesting. So many people that I listen to in podcasts say some variation of that, which is basically just get on with it, right? You're going to learn so much more by actually doing it than you are by planning and, and endlessly trying to think through in advance what it's going to look like. Yeah, it's the only way. And you'll learn mistakes over time. And I look back sometimes and think, oh, that post that I wrote two years ago and look at the photos, they're so dark and the wording is terrible and I wouldn't do it that way now, but it shows development and progress, I think. And it's, it's nice not to remove that and look at how far you've come, really. 
and how yes. far you go. Absolutely. Now, I connected with UCTEL through Savile Fair because of our mutual interest in food. But in your blog, I know it's primarily food focused, but you write on other topics too. So can you tell the listeners a bit about those? Sure. So it's mainly the restaurant reviews and chef interviews. But aside from that, there are um, a few travel guides, but always with a food slant. So I'll write about, for example, San Sebastian, the Pinchos bars that I loved, what I loved about them, must-have dishes, you know, and I describe the ambiance as well, share a few food photos so people can really imagine what they'll get when they go there, hopefully, themselves. And then also some sort of lifestyle pieces. So there is one random piece uh, about Coldplay because I was so moved after I saw them the first time in London, and I was thinking about lyrics and relating that to experiences, and I, I just felt compelled to write something about that and then went back to see them last year now in Paris and built a whole trip around that through the Loire Valley going down to Bordeaux and back up to Paris again to see them and so that is quite removed from food. Um, <laughs> right but, but still sounds like an incredible food. I'm hoping you had some wonderful food and of wine course. in the Loire Valley. Yeah. Of course it was um, during my birthday week so I celebrated that in a lovely place in Tours and then um, my sister was with me as well and on her birthday uh, which also happens to be Bastille Day we had some great food in Paris. Wow incredible and you, you know what this reminds me of what we were chatting about just before we started recording the difference in distances between North America and Europe and I I think to my Coldplay experience and it was going down to BC Place Stadium in Vancouver to see them which was great it was more moving than I expected it to be but I'm I'm jealous of people who live in Europe because you're able to incorporate these trips with with multiple countries in a weekend very easily. It's incredible and I think we take it for granted that within two and a half hours we can be in southern Spain or in Africa even you know nothing is really that far away actually what is far away is getting from where you live in London to the nearest airport that right. can sometimes take about an hour and a half two hours with if you're taking public transport or if there's a strike or something yeah it's a bit of a nightmare. Right. Fair enough. Well, one thing that I'm interested in, you've touched on work a little bit outside of Savile Faire. You clearly put a lot of effort into your blog, but you're also working for, I think, a digital marketing agency. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about that, what a, what a day looks like for you in that world. Yeah, that's right. So I'm an account manager. It's a small digital marketing agency in uh, North London. And it's about a year old now. We offer various services. So that can be from fully managed social media. So we would create the content as well, photography, videography, if the client requires that. Sometimes they have their own agencies as well. And we would schedule the content, uh, create the copy. For some clients, it's just ads only. So that can be social media ads and AdWords. There's also one-to-one -one coaching and then group workshops. So a typical day could be meeting a client to pitch to them, it could involve onboarding as well. So once they've signed on, we want to know as much as we can about their business and how we can help them, what their expectations are, make sure that we're meeting on the same page and then set our KPIs and targets for the next six months to one year. Now reporting once we start the process, how well did certain content perform? Are there any changes we can make to the strategy, etc.? I'll check in with them every week as well just to see what's going on with the businesses, with their teams, if there's anything new that we can promote and strategy meetings alongside us that as well just so monitoring it because the the scene changes so much so we have to adapt to that right yeah fair enough well it, it seems to me working in that world would be an advantage for somebody who is a blogger and who promotes her work through social media so can you comment on that do you see crossover between your day-to-day -day professional life and then your evening and weekend work yeah there definitely is because i spend so much of my time on social media in the daytime and then in the evening as well it's it's a good place to be to learn about all the latest features, learn more about 
ads as well. So deep diving into those and the back end, how to target the right audience to achieve the goals, whether you're just looking to raise awareness of the brand, get the name out there, or if you want to sell tickets or get bookings for a restaurant, for example, the ad strategy is different for each one. So it's not just a blanket approach. And all of that, then I can feed into my own blog, tie into the goals that I have for that and how I can best achieve them. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of crossover in that. Right. And I see, I think this is right, that you've started doing some collaborative work through Savile Faire. Please tell us about that in general. And, and I guess my follow-on question to that is, if you could, would you make interviewing, reviewing, blogging your full-time career? Yeah. I mean, in terms of collaborations, I do take them on. Although now I am quite careful about making sure that the brand's aligned with my own, their values and the messages that they put out as well. But it's not, I'm recommending something that I would wholeheartedly recommend and pay for myself. So for example, I work a lot with a luxury sushi company. What I like about them is that they collaborate with Michelin star chefs to bring in different flavors and combinations. So it's not just standard sushi, things like bergamot, you wouldn't find that normally in Japanese cuisine, I guess, you know, they'll, they'll find a way of incorporating that French flavors and depending on the chef they're working with. And then there's also a brownie company um, and a few restaurants as well. Then the latest one that I did was with Samsung and a travel company called Traverse. And the brief for that was to take the S9 and just go out and take as many photos as, as possible to try and use all the different features. And then we would take the best photos. They would be displayed in an art gallery in Mayfair. And so there were a range of photos from food to scenery, beaches, people as well, just using the different modes. So that was a really good, exciting campaign to be part of. Yeah, yeah. And it must have been, I'm guessing, satisfying at the end of the day to see the work physically present in a gallery. Yeah, it's lovely to see your name and your photo up on the wall like that. So, uh, And we got to keep the frames at the end, which is a good memory. I would like to focus more on the blog as well and writing and I, I enjoy writing reviews and definitely interviewing chefs and I think that would be a part that I would like to concentrate on I think in the future as well. Sure. Well, on that point, on the restaurant reviews, I'm, I'm curious what your experience is like, both as a, as a reviewer and as a personal diner and really whether your experience is different when you're at a restaurant to do a review than when you're there simply to have a meal. I would say that it is, because if I'm there for a review, I will be thinking of lots of things at the same time. So as you walk through, it's the service, the welcome, the ambiance, the music, right through to just the menu, the choices as well. I'm not vegetarian, but I know a lot of my readers are, so I'll try and take notes on that as well, just to see which options they have, if there are many or if it's just the one risotto or something, which seems to be the standard uh, choice. And then also just the, the food itself. How does it taste? What did I expect from it? Um, was it wildly different and why? And then photos, because I'll, I'll try to go at lunch because um, that's better for natural light and I'll capture the food at its best, really. And all of this is a little bit distracting for the person or people that I'm with, because I will just be thinking about all these things and less focused on the conversation. So I think when people come with me, they know that now it's been about three years, so they, they expect it and then they're fine. But if I am going uh, with friends or with family or with my husband and it's not a review, it's, it's a totally different experience because I can immerse myself in that more fully. I will be listening to them properly instead of just thinking, oof, I didn't take that photo from the right angle. Let me just do it again before they tuck into the dish. And so now for special occasions, what Neil and I do is um, we've, we've 
got a self-imposed photo ban, camera ban, and unless it's work or something really important, we're expecting a call, we won't get the phones or cameras out and just enjoy the moment, which is quite nice, I think. Initially, you know, my hands kind of twitch a little bit and I, I try and I, I'm so used to reaching for my phone, but once you embrace it, I think it's quite nice. Right. You know what? I'm, I'm reminded of a line on the menu at Bishop's Restaurant, which is the first place I ever did a stage 10 years ago in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And they had a line, and they may still, at the bottom of their menu that said, please forward your mobile phone to our number, and gave the number there. And I thought, I think that grew out of the days when people carried around brick phones or flip phones, and that was the only reason you would access your phone, is to accept a call. And now it seems, you know, 10 short years later, that seems kind of quaint that you could get rid of the phone distraction just by forwarding the number. Yeah, it does seem to be the last thing that people use their phones for nowadays. You know, you'll check messages, check email, social media, and you know, WhatsApp, and then the last thing will be, oh, yeah, I need to make a call. <laughs> I, can, I can actually connect voice yeah. to voice with another human. Exactly. There's <laughs> so many other ways to, be, to get in touch with someone now. So how do you pick the restaurants that you want to review? It just depends on what appeals to me, really. I think um, chefs who are making waves in the industry or restaurants that maybe a critic who I admire has reviewed, so something that they've said has sparked an interest in me. Yeah, initially I did sort of follow the influencers and bloggers and the hype. So I would see photos on Instagram and read the reviews and, you know, that would plant a seed in my head and then I'd get a bit obsessed with it and have a craving and, and that would only be satisfied when I then went to the restaurant myself. And a lot of the time I was quite disappointed with what I ate. It didn't quite match up to my expectations. So now I, I try and choose them differently, places that have been around for a while and that just quietly do what they do well, really. So places like Quality Chop House in Farringdon, that's one of our favorites. And Holborn Dining Room as well. I know you're a fan of the pies. <laughs> that is a great place. I love it. It will always is be it? on the tip of my lips when people ask for a restaurant recommendation. Okay. Well, let's dive right into that now then, because that's Chef Callum is uh, the Instagram handle that I follow. And I've had a long-standing interest in meat pies and, and made many of them over the years, but I, I suppose officially thrown in the towel when I saw his Instagram feed because the pies just look amazing. So please tell us about the restaurant and, and uh, with a little focus on the pie. The restaurant itself is lovely. It's a, a bistro environment. So you've got high ceilings though, and then the red leather bonquettes and it's just really nice a lovely place to be with dim lighting so it's quite intimate as well and then the food it's it's traditional yet modern at the same time so the pies there's a wide range of meat ones there's um a few vegetarian ones as well i haven't tried those myself but they've now got a um a pie room where you can take away hot and cold pies during the week so i tried the pork pies and the sausage roll and they are pretty good i must admit one of the things that I found that I really love about finding people who write well about food and who write consistently about it, yourself included, is that I can develop trust in their opinions because I know their perspective, I know how much effort they're putting into it, I know where they're coming from. So reviewers I like, I find much more valuable to me than review sites that, you know, there are quite a few of them online you can access quickly. I tend to go with people I follow for recommendations. So do you do the same? And if, and if you do, are there some other reviewers you would point us to? I do indeed. And in terms of reviewers, the first ones that come to mind, who I started reading years and years ago before I started my blog, Chris Popel, who blogs under Cheese and Biscuits. I think he's great. He just tells it like it is, really. 
the language is very accessible and he openly discloses when he's been invited and I don't feel that that influences him too much. He will still t tell the truth anyway. Then you've got Ed Smith, whose uh, handle is Rocket and Squash. And he started out in law and it's, it's really interesting following his career. And then he has always been interested in restaurants and then just wanted to focus on that really. And it all took off for him. And now he's written a book as well, uh, focusing on side dishes. So his blog is fantastic. Right. I've been following, I've looked at his blog a little bit. I'm just starting to get to know him and I've, I've, uh, I'm following him on Instagram. And yeah, I agree. I find him a very interesting fellow. Got to try to get him on the show, actually. He'd be the perfect oh, fit for great. both sides of the of the podcast. Yeah, I know he's done a few, actually. So that would be amazing to collaborate. And he also has the doodles. Every time he does a review, he'll have a little cartoon version of the facade of the restaurant. So that's something different, I think. And then you've got someone else, Hungry Hoss, as well. And he, we bonded over trips to San Sebastian because I think I got my idea for the yearly pil pilgrimage from him. And so we were comparing notes about the, which Pinchos files we've been to, which ones we loved, which ones we didn't like so much and why. And I tend to follow his advice uh, as well, especially for the Basque country. And then a critical couple, uh, Andy Haler. There are many. I could be here for hours listing them all. But, uh, those are a, a good start, I think. And in terms of the fellow food bloggers, you've got um, Aaron, who blogs at uh, One Dish for the Road. And what he does really well and what, what's so unique about him is how he fuses food and fantasy. And so he'll always travel down memory lane and it's very poignant uh, and personal, but all very relatable as well. I would love to have more time to delve into um, all the works by Claudia Roden and all the podcasts. I have different lists of things. Uh, I think I need about a month off just to get through everything. Right, right. Well, that certainly gives us some, some great starting points, a couple I knew of and a couple I didn't. So I look forward to checking them out. Thank you for those. My pleasure. Terrific. Well, let's move on from reviewing to another big piece of your site, the Chef Spotlight series. Is there an origin story? How did that come to be? I've been doing that now for about a year and a half, and I'm just really fascinated with chefs, I think. The, the amount of dedication they show is the pursuit of perfection, really. It, it takes a lot of time to research and develop dishes and to work on it, to get it just right, and then it's consumed in a matter of minutes. And even though the memory lives on, it's, it's a very quick process at the end of it. I just find that fascinating, really. So it's I wanted to interview people and, and give a different spin on, on the standard kind of questions that they're asked about their final meal choices and who they would like to share a meal with, ingredients that they love and hate. So I try to combine questions that are related to food and their path and career, etc., but then also zoom in on their personal interests and beliefs and values. Right. Well, one that I just had a look at just before we got on the connection here was Anna Hansen, and she had an interesting comment I thought around value in restaurants and people and a frustration on her part and and I can say it's shared by many chefs that I've spoken to about customers looking for value without really understanding what that is. Can you tell us more about her thoughts on that? I actually shared a post on that recently on Instagram. Um, yes, yes, it's what drove me to it. Yeah, it's, I think people have certain expectations really that you know, you would want the food to look brilliant now, especially with Instagram and social media driving that. And they don't think so much about where it's sourced from and the process, the time that goes into developing it, the people, the restaurant, everything, all the different parts of the equation 
you just look at a dish and say, oh, 15 pounds, 25 pounds, that's really expensive, which I guess in isolation, yes. But when you consider everything, all the pieces of the puzzle, it makes sense. Well, Sita, well, you've talked about the Chef series, and I'm curious what you hear from chefs. I- I've spent a fair bit of time on this podcast tossing questions to chefs about what I see as common challenges and, and what some of them have told me are common challenges. I'm wondering what you're hearing on that front or what you're seeing. Is, is there anything that's coming or things that are coming up consistently in the chefs that you speak with? Yeah, so myself, I have limited experience with this. I've never worked uh, in the hospitality industry, not behind the scenes anyway. Um, I have waitressed a few times, but that was a long time ago. But what chefs have told me and then what I've observed about the London food scene myself, uh, one of the main things is work ethic. So I think it's difficult to find chefs who are willing to put in the hard graft and the hours. There may be an unrealistic expectation from the start, maybe due to social media as well and TV and celebrity chefs. So people are wanting fame and fortune and thinking that it comes very easily, maybe just straight out of culinary college. And the reality is very different, of course, because, well, that leads on to another challenge, that uh, mental health, because it is working as a chef is quite you know, the hours are long and they're tough and you may miss out on so much because you're working generally when other people are going out and celebrating at weekends and in the evening. So it requires a lot of discipline. And I think that can take its toll over time and especially as you age. So it's great that nowadays there are more chefs, prominent chefs, uh, speaking out about their own challenges and their struggles with depression and all sorts of mental health issues. So Someone like Neil Rankin of Temper, and you've got Andrew Clark as well, who's been very vocal and uh, done quite a few interviews about it. And I think it really does help to see people becoming, opening up and willing to share their, their trouble. And that helps to destigmatize it, which can also be a good thing. I think it's so important. I think in both of the industries that I know, the culinary world and the legal world, it's a real challenge. And they both share that history of sort of backbreaking years of labor at the beginning of your career which I think has created a lot of problems, has created mental and physical health problems for people. Do you think we're actually getting to a point where there, or at least moving toward a point where there is some balance? Because on the one hand, I hear frustration from chefs that people don't want to work hard enough. But on the other, more and more people are cognizant that working too hard or too unrealistically day after day, month after month is not going to be healthy. So I guess there's two sides to that question. And do you think we're going to find equilibrium? Yeah, from from what I've heard, I think chefs, uh, executive chefs and managers, they are looking to instill more of a work-life balance because they recognize the importance of it and they don't want people burning out. They want to nurture their talent and keep the talent for as long as possible. They will make changes elsewhere. So they'll tweak budgets maybe in order to give staff more perks or you know, they'll close the restaurant for a day and then that way every Monday, for example, will be off. And yeah, I think I think that's a really good idea because it is burnout is a real problem for everybody across all industries from what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you hearing from chefs about changing circumstances in kitchens, which which have traditionally been a male dominated world and uh, traditionally a very hardworking, almost angry environment in some cases? and full of machismo for the sake of machismo, I think. Is that changing in the modern world? Are you seeing that those changes in London? Definitely so. I mean, you've got books and accounts like uh, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential and, you know, Marco P.O. White, you know, glamorizing all of that as well, the influence of men. And nowadays, uh, female chefs are definitely rising in prominence. And you've got so many good initiatives led by uh, female characters who've been around for a long time and achieved 
great things despite you know a lot of opposition and uh, and trouble. So I mean, the one that comes to mind is uh, Counter Talk by um, a friend of mine, Radneet Gill, and she is championing women basically, bringing people together. And she was explaining to me that it's quite hard when she started out to have someone to talk to about these experiences and get advice and you know, you don't really know how to proceed and achieve goals. And uh, so she wanted to have that forum for young chefs starting out, whether they're men or women, really. And it's doing some great work. And one of the last events I went to was a brunch for Indian women, by Indian women, in food, doing all sorts of different things. So you've got bakers, self-taught bakers, writers, nutritionists. There was a lady in fashion who now wants to start doing vlogs, talking about uh, taboo well, topics that are traditionally taboo for Indian communities, things like divorce, premarital sex, you know, these are very delicate topics that we don't really talk about very openly at all. So I think these are great ideas and it was such a nice space to talk openly with other women roughly the same age as me from all walks of life and just bond over food. Really. One thing that I noticed you recommended recently through Instagram was a post by Chef Jenny Dorsey in New York, whom I was lucky to speak with about a month ago when when we were in New York City. And she's somebody, it strikes me, who is focused on genuine conversations, on having meaningful discussions, and on honesty and vulnerability. So what did you find about Chef Jenny, either the specific post or about her, her work in general that you found so compelling? So the post that I shared that I wanted people to see was about showing emotion in the workplace or just in general as well, but especially in the workplace and the effect, she was talking about the effect of suppressing it and how that can be damaging and dangerous in the long term. And she'd always been told to have more of a poker face and it just struck a chord with me, especially as a woman, because you are told and you are expected to behave a certain way. And her opening up, I think that's incredibly important because then other people feel more inclined to do so. You can empathize with that and somebody so prominent is talking so openly. I think it's quite reassuring. And I, one of the quotes that really struck with me was her saying that you can change someone's life by opening up about your own. It's it's very true. So at the moment, actually, I, I can't say too much, but I'm, I'm working, normally I write about food and travel and interviewing chefs, but I'm working on a more personal piece because Instagram, I feel it has some nice communities where people are really just breaking down barriers and and I want to be able to help others as well in the same way as they they've helped me. Wonderful. Well, I'll be keeping eyes peeled for when you're ready to share it. I thought Jenny was just endlessly impressive. Both her food looks incredible, but her willingness to be so honest and direct and open, I think just creates space for other people and I think that's really important. It is. Now, I listen, I love that podcast with her and especially the augmented reality and virtual reality. I thought that was a great idea. And then recently I saw that she's also looking to bring people with opposing views together. So for 10 minutes, one person would talk about something while yeah. the other would listen and then, you know, it would switch and, and the person B would get a chance to do that. And then afterwards they would have some time to discuss. And I, I thought that was fascinating. It's brilliant. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful idea. I'm going to try to go back to New York for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to New York for a long time, so I would love to. It's a good reason for me to go over. Absolutely. Is there any role within the culinary industry that would tempt you to enter it directly? Or do you like the, your position as an observer? I've actually, I had quite a few waitressing positions front of house uh, when I was younger, but it was mainly as I was to support me while I was studying, etc. And uh, just to summer jobs to prepare for the next stage of my life. But I would actually 
like to get some training. I, it's, I'm not opposed to cooking, but I've just got a fantastic okay. husband who loves it. He loves cooking and I love eating, which works out really well. And I, I do the washing up, so it's a good compromise on all levels. When it comes to cooking, I, I find it very time consuming. And so what I don't like about that, I love about baking, which is really strange. I will put in the time. I love the process of just weighing things out, reading the recipes, not knowing quite how it's going to turn out. And then the final result, you know, it's, it's pretty, making it look good. And I have a very sweet tooth, so tasting it as well. It's a big part of the pleasure in sharing it with people. So I would love <laughs> to maybe train as a pastry chef, I think. Well, let's move, Sital, into some tips for the listeners. Now, I haven't been to London in far, far, far too long, but when I do get back, food is going to be, well, the number one priority. So I know I will see the Holborn dining room. Where else? This is another question that I'm asked quite often. As uh, well. Of course, I know, and it must be virtually impossible to answer. Yeah, it just, I, I will always reply with, you know, depends on your taste, what the occasion yeah. is, what the budget is as well, which areas you'd like to focus on. But if you're asking me for favorite restaurants, it, obviously Holborn Dining Room, the Quality Chop House as well. We've been there a few times for special occasions and also just because their pork pie is my favorite in London from the shop that they have next door. There's also Noble Rot on Lamb's Conduit Street, which is pretty special. And they have a really good wine selection as well. For Indian food, Indian accent, I think I was blown away by that, actually. And I'm very fussy when it comes to Indian food because my mom and gran are such excellent cooks. But I think that they put a very interesting spin on it. And then also gunpowder for the best chops in London. They're very, very good. And then when it comes to pasta, I think Trullo and Padella in London Bridge, they're brilliant. Like for Padella, you will have to wait for a while. But if you time it right and you arrive maybe about half an hour before it opens, I, I think you'll be okay. You'll be in the first sitting. So you can then just take your time. Once you've grabbed a stool, you're fine. And what are your thoughts on the Michelin starred places and whether they're worth it? I put that in quotes. And I know that the answer is going to be different for everybody, depending, as you say, on budget and, and what the occasion is that you're looking for. But when I was thinking about questions, I was thinking about your review of Midsummer House, where you talked about how it wasn't really traditional fine dining with, and this is what you said, I love this quote, with lengthy tasting menus, ramrod straight waiters, and cavernous rooms with the atmosphere of a wake. So it sounded to me like this place offered wonderful food, but a much more casual atmosphere. Are you seeing changes in the upper end away from painfully fancy to just more of a focus on great food? Yeah, and I think that's a trend across the board in, in London now. It's all very much stripped back. It's smart, casual, and informal. So you won't have those white linen tablecloths and waiters all dress very formally and you know hushed atmosphere it will just be more relaxed I think uh, you don't need to dress a certain way men don't have to go in dinner jackets and ties which will be a relief to many and you can yes. <laughs> yeah my husband hates that we were at the Ritz uh, recently and he had to do that and he wasn't very impressed he'd love it in Vancouver <laughs> oh yeah yeah no he would actually but you've got places like Lyle's for example that is Michelin star but you'll go in and there'll be bare wooden tables and chairs and it's it's quite an open space as well there, there's not I don't recall any art on the walls. It's all just very, very simple. So the focus is fully on the food. Well, speaking of seeking out places that don't require jackets and ties, do you have any thoughts on what else restaurant guests can do to improve their own dining experiences? So for example, in, in past episodes, I've, I've talked about the benefits of being a regular at a restaurant. Any thoughts you've got on that front, what people can do to, to improve their own experience? It's an interesting question, actually. I think maybe not do too much research in advance. So I did fall into that trap myself at the beginning where 
I would read all the reviews, look at all the photos on Instagram, and then you just build up a picture in your mind. You've got all these preconceived ideas way before you step into the restaurant itself. I guess it's a bit like reading film reviews, and then you go to, to see a film, and it's it's just not quite the same experience uh, as if you hadn't read anything in the first place, and you go in with a completely blank slate, which is impossible nowadays. I, I appreciate that if you're into food and you'll be on social media, people will tell you about things as well. But maybe just pay attention to people, critics, friends whose views align and tastes align with your own as well. So you don't get too swayed by other people's opinions in general. To go back to the way that I review as well, and I prefer to pay in a way because it's more of a an authentic experience. I wouldn't tell the restaurant that I'm coming in advance or anything. And I can then just tell the story as if my friend or whoever's reading it, as if they would experience it in the restaurant themselves. It, it, there wouldn't be any special treatment at all. Terrific. Well, listen, just a couple final questions and I'll let you get on with your Friday evening. Will we, and if so, when might we see some Savile Faire reviews of uh, Vancouver restaurants? I would love to come back to Canada, actually. I lived there for a year after I graduated and uh, I was in Montreal. Uh, I didn't travel throughout Canada as much as I could have done. So I did visit a few places, but unfortunately didn't get as far as Vancouver. So I would love to come. I've heard so many good things about the food scene, but I don't know. There's no trip on the cards at the moment, but uh, okay. never say never. I would love to come. <laughs> Terrific. Well, certainly just, just let me know when you're coming and, and we can exchange list for list between oh, London and Vancouver. That's a good deal, I think. <laughs> right. And last question, Sitel, what is the best way for my listeners to follow you and to, to get to your content? I am online pretty much all day and all day. as well because it's part of my job. So uh, my handle is at uh, Sablafair, so that's S-A-V-L-A-F-A-I-R-E on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Pinterest, which I started probably about five, six months ago and I'm totally in love with now. It's a great platform. And also at Sablafair.com. Of course. How can I forget that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Terrific. Well, listen, Sital, thank you. It's been an absolute uh, delight to speak with you. Thank you for taking your Friday evening to be on Chef Demonia. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And there you have it. I highly recommend that you follow Sitel at Savile Faire and that you visit her website regularly. It's a beautiful site full of good food stories, well told. My thanks to Sitel for taking the time for our talk, and I can't wait to take up some of her recommendations. Thanks to you, too, for joining me here for the podcast. I really appreciate you spending time with me and my guests. And speaking of guests, I'm always looking for interesting people for the show, people with a connection to the culinary world. So if you are one or no one, please get in touch. You can message me on Instagram or Facebook, or just send me an email to graham at cheftimony.com. I'm Graham McLennan, and I'll see you next time, right here on Chef Timoni.